This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Our homes today are like little cities full of different internetting boroughs, like the entertainment district in the living room or the virtual fitness center in the garage. And Xfinity Internet keeps it all running smoothly with reliable speed to power all your devices at once. You get coverage around town from the financial district home office to the spa. Xfinity Internet keeps your little city humming with reliable speed and coverage. Now that's simple, easy, awesome. Find great offers and value today from Xfinity. Go online or call 1-800-XFINITY to learn more. Restrictions apply. There's great news during the pandemic. The new Hypermax oxygen system is here. Doctor approved, clinically tested, at-home oxygen for improved health, fitness, and especially your immunity. Go to HypermaxOxygen.com. See how 300% more oxygen purity works wonders in only 15 short minutes. You're home anyway, so why not build your immunity and much more? HypermaxOxygen.com. That's HypermaxOxygen.com. This is the Cubs-related podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined, as always, by Brendan. And we are coming to you on a Sunday. And guys, it's those damn Cincinnati Reds again. The Cubs' second series loss since the beginning of April comes once again to the Cincinnati Reds as the Cubs drop two of three to the Reds. We get a bullpen loss on Friday and just a a dumpster fire of a game on Sunday. Uh, Sandwiched in there is a Cubs win on Saturday. So we will break down those three games. We'll probably talk a little bit more about the bullpen, how you Darvish fared on Saturday, and uh, a little bit of everything in between. But Brendan, the the, the first thing I, I wanted to ask you, it just relates to this Red Series, is where does, again, as I always say, as Pat Hughes pronounces his name, A. Eugenio Suarez, where does he rank right now? on your your Cubs killer list, like just of guys in the league right now in 2019, you can compare him to like all-time Cub killers if you want, if you want to take this conversation super dark right off the gate. But yeah. like right now in 2019, how many people besides Suarez would you rather see like, you know, in that box with the game on the line? Because right now I'm looking at baseball reference. So this probably doesn't include the game on Sunday, but that wasn't necessarily his his biggest game of the series. But it, so far in 2019, a four. 55 batting average, a 1251 OPS with two homers and eight RBIs. And that's just through five games. So again, not even including uh, Sunday's game where Suarez goes two for three with three RBIs. So add that into those totals. It just seems like he's pretty near the top of that list in terms of like, oh, God, this guy again. There's a few guys currently in the league right now that are kind of in that tier, not to that degree. We can think of, you know, Billy Hamilton when he was with the Reds, right. at current guys like Hernan Perez with Milwaukee. Ryan Braun. Even or I know, even uh Orlando Arcia with, with Milwaukee. Right. It's there's there's those characters out there that seem to only do well against the Cubs. I mean, going back even to those early two thousands Reds teams, the mid two thousands Reds teams. I'm not going to put him in that like tier as Austin Kearns yet, which, by the way, before Corey and I got on here, there was like a good 20-minute convo about reminiscing about uh, Austin Kearns there and all the trauma that that guy supplied us in our in our youth. I don't think I'll there. ever forget the 2004 Cincinnati Reds, Brendan. That's just one of those oddities of, of it's just growing up mind, a Cubs man. fan. It's such an awful, random thing to remember, but I know way too much about the 2004 Cincinnati Reds. Yeah, I mean, just looking at this list right now, you guys, you have like, you know, Russell Brannion, Sean Casey, 
William O. Pena, Austin Kearns. Uh, it's, it's, it's crazy to see all these names on there. And, the, and like they weren't even that great during that era. It just always seemed that they killed the Cubs for whatever reason. So it's, you know, A.U. Eugenio Suarez is not there yet, but you can see it turning into a thing over the next few years where you're like, man, I, I really despise seeing this guy up at the plate. He's not in the same vein as like, when it's Orlando Arcia on the Brewers, it's way more annoying because Orlando Arcia has not been that good against anybody but the Cubs. But like Suarez right. is very good. So I guess it's, I don't know if that makes it more or less annoying, but it, it seems that even though he's very good in general, he dials it up to an 11 against the Chicago Cubs. So that's nice. We we always appreciate yeah, that. You, yeah, you thank you, Eugenio Suarez, thanks, for guys. that. Uh, but no. Yeah, so let's do uh, a quick recap, and then we'll jump into these games. Uh, again, the Reds taking two of three from the Cubs here at Wrigley Field over this uh, pre-Memorial Day holiday weekend. And on Friday, the Cubs bullpen blowing this one. The Cubs had a four to nothing lead after Brizzo, Chris Bryant, and Anthony Rizzo hit homers in the bottom of the third inning, back-to-back homers, of course, given that they sit next to each other in the lineup. So the Cubs led four to nothing. That lead is erased by the top of the seventh on a Jesse Winker double. The Cubs would regain the lead on a Wilson Contreras pinch hit RBI single that felt like that felt like the game, Brendan. I I I really thought they had it. They they did the cut to Wilson at first base. He's pounding his chest. Everybody was feeling it. At, you know, they had erased the Reds' comeback. But the aforementioned Eugenio Suarez with his 14th home run off of Steve Ciszek in the bottom of, or excuse me, the top of the ninth inning. The Cubs do nothing in the bottom half, and that is unfortunately all she wrote. Steve's second blown save of the season. Brad Brock also takes a blown save in this one, also his second. Not great numbers, guys. Uh, you don't want to. You don't want to hear that uh, in the same game, let alone how often the Cubs have been doing it. So the Reds steal that one on Friday, six to five. On Saturday, it was a windy, warm day at Wrigley Field, and both teams taking full advantage of that. The Cubs getting home runs in this one from Albert Almora Jr., Addison Russell, and Jason. Hayward pacing the offense and the game-winning hit after Derek Dietrich tied the game with his 13th homer of the year in the top of the eighth at 6-6 comes from David Bodie. He rips an RBI double into the left center gap to score Almora. Kyle Schwarber would follow with a sacrifice fly to make it 8-6, and the Cubs would hold it there, and they would hold it with Tyler Chatwood, Brendan, getting the save. Uh, He gives up two hits in an inning of work, but no walks, no strikeouts. His season ERA now at 2.76. Another good showing from Tyler Chatwood there. Hugh Darvish was the starter on Saturday. We will certainly be talking about him. He goes seven innings, allowing 12 hits, six earned runs, two walks, and five strikeouts. He gives up three home runs. He did go into the eighth inning, but was greeted with the aforementioned Derek Dietrich home run and taken out after that. He throws a total of 108 pitches. He did throw 82 strikes, so certainly uh, that's got to be his highest rate of strikes thrown in a game, Uh, but perhaps the wrong day to be uh, pitching to contact, but we'll get into that a little more. Again, the Cubs winning this one 8-6 on Saturday, and on Sunday it was a slop fest. I don't really have that much to recap in this one for you. Wilson Contreras hitting his 12th home run. Javi Baez hitting his 13th home run. The main things of note for the Cubs. On offense, Jose Quintana was the starter in this one. He falls to four and four with a loss. Five and a third, 12 hits. Two two days in a row, Brendan, with 12 hits uh, against the starter. Similarly, in that last episode, I set a, a couple offensive stat lines. You know, that'll play. Um, this will not. I'm going out on a limb there. Uh, 12 hits, two straight days for your starting pitchers. Not going to play uh, over the long run. He gives up five earned, six total runs. He walks one and strikes out two. His ERA drops back to 373 on the season. Carl Edwards came in in relief. He has another bad outing, allowing a run on a wild pitch. He walks one, gives up a hit in an inning 
and a third. Victor Caratini making his appearance in the bullpen. When we were talking about bullpen adjustments, Brendan, I don't think that's what we had in mind. But I respect they're the effort, though, they're trying things. Here. Yeah, they're 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 they are throwing the kitchen sink at the at the bullpen problem. And Victor getting a shot. He was sitting sixty five. So again, I, I don't think that's going to play. A couple things in this game that I, I just don't think are going to play in the long run, but we'll see. The Reds win this one 10 to 2. I am going to safely assume you guys do not care how the Reds scored those 10s runs, so I'm going to spare you that. The Cubs do make two errors in this one, and unfortunately, you know, they, they get eight hits in this one, Brendan. Uh, they leave nine men on base, uh, but just, you know, obviously 10 runs is a bit too much to overcome. So that is your series, Brendan, and unfortunately, the main bit of news in this one that is important to read here is that Chris Bryant and Jason Hayward collide on a ball in center field. Didn't look like the most gruesome affair, especially, uh, unfortunately, compared to past instances that we've seen uh, with this group of Cubs in the outfield. But he does leave the game. He is currently being evaluated. They are thinking about whether he'll make this trip to Houston uh, with the team tonight on the flight. So we'll just sort of have to see where it is. Again, it, it didn't look like, you know, major impact or anything to his head, uh, but they do bump into each other. Chris leaves the game. Hopefully it ends up just being precautionary and he's all right. Uh, but obviously with the way that he's been playing and really with any of these guys, regardless of how they're playing, uh, you know, I think you have to be conservative in it. Take your time. Make sure he's all right. There's there's truly no reason to rush anybody back, um, even if it's not a serious thing. So we are recording this at about 5.30 in Chicago uh, Central Time, and we will keep you updated on that uh, throughout the podcast. So hopefully we get an in-game update there as far as how KB goes. But Brendan, I think the 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 first place I, I want to start, and it's it's interesting to try to figure out you know where the discussion should go. I think with this team, because again, you know, part of me is is very much inclined to look at this series and go, you know, look again, th- this is a first place team that has some areas that you'd like to see improved, and uh, you know, unfortunately, some of them are areas that we've been saying this for six months now, basically, you know, headed into the off season. Uh, we had been talking about the bullpen. Pretty much everybody had been talking about the bullpen. But the, the the first thing I wanted to ask you, and and it it I, it comes to my mind simply just because of the way that the game on Sunday plays out. But but this, call me call me crazy if you will. But this team looks sloppy at times, and it certainly isn't the majority of the time. And and this isn't like. Uh, an indictment of them as a whole. Like sometimes these games happen, but we I, it feels like we're seeing errors uh, on a more regular basis, bad decisions on the base paths, bad decisions in the field, etc. And it just doesn't feel like this team is as tight and and um, clean as we've come to expect with this group. Is that something that you know is just a feeling after a 10 to 2 loss and it, it kind of comes to the, the, the front of your brain or, or is that something that, that we've kind of been seeing for, for a little bit here? Yeah, it's coming to the front of my brain and sticking there the entire time. Like I can't, I can't get over the fact that a lot of what we're seeing never used to happen. Even in 2016, you never saw the Cubs make kind of these sloppy mistakes. So I went to go look at some of the numbers here and the Cubs as an outfield group have the 20th worst air rating in the league, according to Fangraphs. And so we know Schwarber has been good defensively. And even if he wasn't the guy with the best range, the errors should never happen. And But he hasn't been the one making a lot of those errors. You look around and even Schwarber, or uh, rather Almora, has at times been a little sloppy with his throws. Hayward going back on baseballs. And even with some of his throws, have also been a little sloppy. And then when KB's out there, hasn't been the best in his short time. So you expect Mm -hmm. this team to not make errors. They may not, with this current outfield group in the corners, some days may not be the best configuration. But at the very best, you expect them to make the plays that that should be made. And even in the infield, at third base, the Cubs have the second worst error rating. 
And I know a lot of that is not due solely to Chris Bryant, who's been mostly okay there recently. But Bodie, for example, is one of the guys who's really deflating that value. And we talked a lot about Bodie in a positive light because we liked his defense. I mean, even when he was first called up last year, he's making play after play barehanded. For whatever reason this year, he's just not as sharp on those plays or he's not eating mm-hmm. the plays that he should be eating. So it's it's one thing to expect the Cubs defense to be better and to get the balls that are kind of hard to get to. And they still do that, which is encouraging. But the the small little things... Like the rundown with Del Scalso, you got to yeah. make that play. And a lot of the plays eating that second base for double plays or on short dribblers, you should be eating those or hitting your, your cutoff man through your cutoff man. Those aren't happening this year. And you expect right. that to be better, which is a good sign. But in the short term, it's frustrating because you know they should not be making those plays. Even in the recent memory, you know, a, a few really stand out. You know, again, we see in today, in Sunday's game, like a runner gets on because Descalso can't make what I, you know, I think is a pretty easy play, or at least especially with uh, some of the guys on this current Cubs roster, a play you expect to be made. Then he drops uh, the ball in the rundown. We saw Addison Russell cut off a ball the other day that should have gone into second where Baez was waiting to tag out a runner trying to take that extra base. We've seen Almora, you know, kind of overthrow the cutoff man. We saw Wilson Contreras, uh, and he hasn't done this in a while, but, you know, do that thing where he picks up a, a bunt or a soft dribbler and throw it literally 300 <laughs> miles an hour to the first I think, baseman. I think he stopped that after Rizzo probably you we, know, was We did. I, I, thought, I thought we were done with that, but yeah. he threw one a million miles to Daniel Descalso, you know, into the corner the other day. Yeah. So, and again, like, that's not to say, like, you know, that it, it's not to overreact to stuff like this, right? But it's it's just something that stands out because, you know, again, it's hard not to think back to the 2016 group that is literally setting, you know, kind of an all-time pace for their defense and their ability to convert outs, get those extra outs. And so I, I think it's just sort of the natural thing for us at this point to not necessarily hold everybody to the 2016 standard. That's not really going to be super productive all the time. But it's just one of those things that that's not really been characteristic of this group. I think when you look back to 2015, one of the things that you would hang your hat on with this group is that they were going to play de- good defense, they were going to make smart plays, and they weren't going to be this sloppy all the time. So it's just something that, you know, seems like something that, that just needs to be cleaned they're up avo- on a more they're regular avo- They're basis. avoidable mistakes. Like, that's, yeah. that's, 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 that's the thing. I, and, and it's it's like 50-50. Like, I don't know, it, like, is it a good thing or a bad thing that, like, a good chunk of the Cubs' losses, like, a really good chunk of them are— you can kind of pin on beating yourself, basically. And and so, like, I don't, I don't, you know, like, on one hand, you could look at that and go, well, then if they clean that up, which they, they should, and I think that they will, then you should stop losing games like that. But at the, you know, on the other hand, you're going, well, like, you're blowing games sort of because of your own doing, you know, your bullpen unraveling or a little bit of sloppiness that's not cleaned up. So, I don't know, but it's just something that stands out. I was just curious, you know, your opinion on that, if it's just something that, you know, maybe uh, seems that way when we watch them lose a series mm-hmm. or or get blown out on a day like Sunday or, you know, if there's something really there. But there's also good things going on with the defense as well. I think with, with Javi in particular, he never played as many innings at shortstop as he currently is. So there were still some signs. We knew he was an elite defender at second base. But the sample size for shortstop, a lot of people were like, you know what, maybe he can't have that same range we saw with Addison Russell at shortstop. But I mean, in this short run here, he's been one of the better defenders as a shortstop in the league. So that's encouraging. Wilson Contreras continues to throw out runners at second base. That's mm-hmm. encouraging. And you you expect over the long run, these sloppy plays to stop. Like I don't and Elmore yeah. is like an instinctual defender. He's a very smart, in-tune defender. You don't expect him to make those dumb, you know, overthrows that he's been doing a few times recently. You expect that to be cleaned up. So it's not an indictment on their future defensive value, but just in the short term here, you expect better because you've seen better. And it's okay right. to be frustrated about that because you know they're better than this, and they really they are better than this, and they will be better than that. 
homes today are like little cities full of different interneting boroughs, like the entertainment district in the living room or the virtual fitness center in the garage. And Xfinity Internet keeps it all running smoothly with reliable speed to power all your devices at once. You get coverage around town from the financial district home office to the spa. Xfinity Internet keeps your little city humming with reliable speed and coverage. Now that's simple, easy, awesome. Find great offers and value today from Xfinity. Go online or call 1-800-XFINITY to learn more. Restrictions apply. Let's let's talk about you, Darvish, Brendan. I, I think that that's just something that we're, we're going to have to get to. We might as well just uh, rip that Band-Aid off and talk about it now. And I think that you and I maybe aren't eye-to-eye on this one, which isn't always the case. So perhaps this will be an interesting discussion. Um, again, you, Darvish, goes 7-plus. Uh, he does go into the eighth inning. And gives up 12 hits, six earned runs, two walks, five strikeouts, and allows three home runs. I would be remiss, again, if I didn't point out that this was a wind-blowing-out day at Wrigley Field. It was hot. And this Reds offense is good. That That's sort of the context that I think is is useful to provide. But I'll, I'll throw it to you, Brendan. Just give me, your, give me your thoughts on this. What was your takeaway from Darvish on Saturday? <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble saying this, but I, I still don't think it was a great start. I, I know he had one of his all-time best zone percentages in terms of him throwing baseballs inside the strike zone, but he still had no fastball command, and you just cannot survive with no fastball command. He gave up six runs in eight innings. I know that one home run that he gave up usually should not be a home run, but even in that start, his expected weighted on base average was around 450. So it's not as if he was getting completely screwed out there. And at times, when the Reds hitters are sitting on your cutter and slider, why do you think that is? Well, the scattering ports are catching up to Darvish now. His last five starts, he's thrown almost 60% sliders or cutters. The league is smart. These hitters are exceptionally smart. Even Ben Zobris has talked about the new data and the ability for these new guys to adapt so quickly. This is not a dumb league. So I'm not, yeah, I don't think it was a great start. I, I get that the, the, the opposite has been extremely bad recently, but I'm not sitting here thinking, oh, I have so much more confidence in you, Darvish, because I, I don't. We, did, we saw no fastball command. If anything, we saw the same fastball command. The best fastballs he threw were to Puig at the end of the seventh inning. Other than those two fastballs, he never went to it the entire game. And looking at the entire zone profile of his fastballs the last few months or you know few weeks, it's been all over the place. Most of the fastballs are either up and away or down and away. It's There's no in-between. There's no middle ground there. So I, first off, I recognize that moment in the seventh inning to strike Puig out. Good for Darvish. You know, like he was waiting for a moment like that. And at times, yeah, I can get behind the idea that he did kind of pick up his bullpen by going over seven innings. But at the same time, I'm not going to be you know, a lot more confident about Darvish based on that start because a lot of the a lot of the things that were going bad for Darvish still persisted in that one particular start. And I've always said this, until he shows better fastball command, it's hard for me to have the same type of confidence. And so, yes, Corey, I, I respect and I agree that it was a start where he did go deep and picked up his bullpen to some degree, but he gave up a lot of hard hit baseballs, man. And and I'm just not I'm not surrounding with everyone on the idea that, yeah, this was a great start by Darvish, because I don't really think it was. Sorry, I just, I don't. Well, I don't know how many people are arguing that it's a great start. And well, I'm you're reading, you're reading like guts, you're that. reading like gutsy performance. And I don't think gutsy equals great. Well, you're also reading posts saying, oh, you know, Joe Madden has better, better confidence than you, Darvish, because sure. of this. How? Yeah, I, I think that these are all, you know, perhaps different things, though. So, But these, but these are still silver lining type you know, writing, you know, these are, yes. these are simple lining posts. Like we're, we're, we should be behind I, that. I, yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And I think, you know, projecting forward, you're right. Like you, you cannot, you, you need to develop better fastball command. And it's odd, Brendan, because like there are times, and we've seen this a few times this year where he seems to throw that fastball and like this pui, the, the pui get bat that that's the last one of the seventh inning is an example of this. Like he seems to have these these at bats against guys where he, you know, rears back for the fastball. He throws it with 
more conviction, like just visibly, like when you're watching the game than at other times. And it goes pretty well for him. Like this isn't the first time that we've seen, like if you were just watching the game, you'd be like, oh, he's reaching back and just like going to try to blow this guy away. And it's kind of worked a a, a few times. And like, I, I don't know if that's just an end of the game, like empty the tank thing and not something that he can really like replicate or that you wouldn't want him replicating, you know, at, at risk of like hurting himself. I, I'm not sure, but I, I, I do wonder if there's like something that we can dial into there be, because it's not as though he has had zero success with, you know, his uh, higher velocity fastball. Like we've seen him throw it with conviction, throw it for strikes and blow it past people. Like in that Puig at bat, it looks like he goes into that at bat thinking, I am going to blow him away with this fastball and it works. And so then you're looking at that going like, okay, like let's spread this around a little bit and not throw slider, 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 cutter, slider to every other hitter. Uh, but yeah. again, I didn't, I, I ne- look, the, the, he gave up six earned runs and 12 hits. I'm not going to, like, there's no universe in which I'm going to say, oh yeah, it was a great start. To me though, like I want to look at starts in the context of like the game that they're playing and that day and I do think that you know you you need to credit him for going seven innings he shouldn't have been out there in the eighth inning that's not something that you can control he shouldn't have been out there to give up the tying home run to Dietrich you know he that that Puig point should have been the punctuation mark on the start for him I, I thought that was obvious um but, you know, I don't want to turn this into a Joe Madden pitching decision thing. But, you know, he goes deep in the game. He threw more strikes. And, I, you know, like, I, I know, like, I think that Barnhart home run, like, probably not a home run on most days. And again, like, both teams playing in the same conditions. I'm not, I'm not here to offer up excuses. It wasn't a great start. And I agree with you, Brendan, that, like, if we're projecting forward, you still need to see certain things change. You still need to see certain things happen for him to really inspire confidence going forward. But for me, like, he went seven innings. He prevented Joe from having to dip into a not good, overused bullpen uh, at the moment. And had he not gone back out there in the eighth, which, again, I don't think is his fault— the Cubs were in a position to win that game with him exiting off the mound. He would have been in line for the win. And I I, I just, I, I see some value in at least acknowledging that. I guess that that's like where I land on this. Like, no, it wasn't a great start. Like, you give up 12 hits and six earned runs. Like, you can find as many silver linings as you want. It doesn't mean it's a great start. But I, I do kind of, I'm not mad about like the the term gutsy coming out. Like, I, I think that's fine. Like, it, it was a bad day to pitch at Wrigley Field. He got through seven innings, and the Cubs were on top when he should have left the game. It is what it is. Like, mm-hmm. I think at this point, this is the conversation like every other start around him. Like, we have one that, like, trends in the right direction. I thought he deserved uh, a better overall line on Monday when he faced Arietta, and, you know, then we're right back to trying to pick apart, like, you know, what parts of a five, six run affair we want to focus on. So it just is kind of the way it is. I, I, I wish it were different, and I hope that it starts to be different, but again, you're right. Like, I agree with you on that. Like, we're going to have to see certain adjustments get made, and you're going to have to see certain things in terms of, like, these pitching peripherals, like, before you can really say, like, yeah, I believe, like, long term that this is, you know, kind of a, a turning point or uh, coming around the corner, whatever you want to say. But people do look at it as that. And I'm not, I'm not going to throw up specific, you know, names here or whatever, but I do, I do read that. And you think, okay, well, he threw 75% strikes, whatever it was. Going forward, if you minimize the hard contact, that's going to be good for you. But the reason he's not throwing so many balls is because he's not throwing the damn fastball, right? So that's one reason why he's throwing more strikes. And it's fine in the short term, but the league is going to adjust. And the Reds put up six runs because they knew going in, this is what was happening. I mean, a lot of the home runs and hard hard hit balls were based on those cutters. And you know they're sitting on that. Even like JD during the broadcast was like, yeah, these Reds guys are sitting on that breaking pitch because he is throwing this 60 times per game. And, you know, and especially too, like, again, I said this when I was reading the stat line, like against this lineup, 
in these conditions, like the 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 strike ratio that he throws in this game is more what you would want to see from him on a, on the opposite day at Wrigley Field, right? Like when the wind is yeah. blowing in, throw as many strikes as you can, pump that slider over, let him hit fly balls that die at the warning track. This is the wrong lineup and the wrong day for this. I, again, like I'm mostly with you. I, I think I just try sometimes to not project everything outward after every game. Like I think sometimes we can just look at things in the context of the day and when he should have been taken out of the game, he had thrown enough pitches, he had just struck out Puy, he had a good moment, you know, to kind of like shut down the Reds and let the Cubs come up and see if they could add an insurance run or whatever. And that should have been it for him. And I think it would have been like a fine day, even if afterward when we dig in you know maybe we're not like super thrilled at everything that we saw but I like to me I really don't think I would ever use the word gutsy on my own uh it's just not really something I I, see where you're coming from Corey I I do but I don't think it's something to be excited about are you excited that you Darvish did that no I didn't say I'm not saying you particular but like how do you feel about the start then like if it's not gutsy if you're not excited about it then it's just I, I think start. it was fine for that day and that game. It, does it give you? He should have left with a six to five lead and turned it over to whoever in the bullpen for you know the the last two innings. And I think that's so fine. It doesn't concern you that that's not that's not the standard that you want him to be at. But I I like I thought it was so fine. the fact that he goes you know out there and has no fastball command. You're not like still concerned about that. I am. I said that I was. Yeah. But, uh, you know, uh, again, like I'm just saying, like on that day, I, I, I think it's fine. And I, I, I guess I'm just somewhere between like digging into too many silver linings and also, you know, like Darvish's a waste, get rid of them. I'm somewhere well, I'm in between those that, things. Though. That's that's all I'm yeah. trying to say. No, I know yeah, that. But like, ugh, yeah. that's that's... It's tough, it's man. Tough. And I look like we've had these conversations a lot. Like, I don't know that there's a like final takeaway that's going to be really super satisfying um for everyone but regardless i think that that one takeaway is it's you know not good enough and not where you want him to be uh relative to a his contract which you know isn't always something that you want to bring up but it it's relevant at least and, you know, just where this rotation sort of needs him to be. You know, again, we, we can't just sit here and rely on two 35-year-old lefties in, in Lester and Hamels, at, you know, to just never age and, and never slow down or anything like that. Like, you're kind of going to need you to step up into that upper tier of the rotation at some point. So I, I understand, you know, like, obviously, like, looking at this line, it's not super thrilling. But let's Let's talk about something else because, like, I don't, I don't think we're gonna land on like a real conclusion here. Like, I don't know that there is one. It's again, it's like every start from you has sort of been different. Like, there's some starts where he's throwing too many strikes, he's throwing too many balls, he's walking too many guys, giving up too much contact, too many fly balls, not enough fly balls. It's 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 all over the place, man. Like, I, I don't know. So. It, it just sort of is what it is at this point. But I, I, I do want to get back to the bullpen. And we, we see a couple of moves. Uh, so Dylan Maples comes back up. Tim Collins comes back up. Mark Zagunis is no longer on the team. I'm sure many of you will, will really miss Mark's uh, vast contributions to the 2019 Cubs in the very uh, serious playing time that he was allotted in his time up here. But he has been sent down to AAA uh, along with James Norwood. And for at least the time being, Dylan Maples and Tim Collins back up. Maples gets into the game on Saturday. He looked very good in that game. He walked one, but he struck out one in two-thirds of an inning. He actually picks up the win in that game. But it's just tough, Brendan, because... Again, we came into this off season and went through the off season, went into spring training and, and into the beginning of the season with this kind of circled as the main area of concern for this team in so much as there was one, right? Even even amongst you and I, who were rather confident in, in this team's ability and, and, and long-term projection. But after that those first three series, it settles down. They go through a pretty lengthy stretch where they're putting up the best numbers in the league as far as a group. 
And recently, you know, we're kind of coming back down to earth. So we know that when you look at someone, the, the, the name that, you know, for better or worse is popping up relentlessly is Craig Kimbrell. We know that, you know, the draft is approaching. And once that draft is over, you no longer have to give up the pick because he's on the qualifying offer. So so that time period is is certainly rapidly approaching and one to keep an eye on. But let's let's look back at this bullpen and, and and just see where we're at because you know you you have a couple moves made this weekend to kind of shift things around but you look at Friday's game again Brad Brock comes in relief of Kyle Hendricks he throws an inning and two-thirds he gives up four hits an earned run a walk he strikes out three but he does get tagged with a blown save because of the the run that he gives up and then Steve Ciszek comes in and blows that save, and you know, pretty obvious. We've we've gone through this. We've seen this movie with Steve in particular before, where he's being used a lot. And so, not only do you have him coming on Friday, and I think even after the game, Madden might have admitted that he didn't have a full tank. <laughs> and I I bring that up to relate it to Darvish on Saturday, who gets sent back out for that eighth inning. And I think a lot of us were surprised, but especially on a day where you know, you're, you're, you're trying to be careful of who you're bringing in there and, and the contact you're allowing because, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those days at Wrigley Field. But I, I think that that speaks to Joe's confidence. And, and, you know, I think some of these guys were unavailable. You've had some long games lately. You know, you have, uh, what, four of these guys get into the game on Friday. But, I, I do think that Joe putting you back out there, especially after like that Puig moment was that like feel good moment, even in a, a start that we just heavily debated, like that was your exclamation point on the day in so much as you could have one. But I do think that that speaks to like, you know, Joe would rather put Ciszek in there on Friday to try to shut down a game, admittedly not on a full tank. Then you go to the next day, and he would rather throw Joe, or excuse me, uh, Joe would rather keep you in there for that eighth inning, you know, past the 100-pitch mark on a day that he's, you know, been hit pretty hard. And I think that that speaks to the overall state of affairs here. So, like, you know, you're looking at when that draft is over, do they take a look at Craig Kimbrell? They're not going to be alone in that one. So even though you don't have to give up the 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 prospects or the, the, the players in a trade for Craig, they're not going to be alone in the teams that are interested in him. There's there, I know we all think the Cubs bullpen is bad, but they are definitely not alone in, in terms of uh, blowing games and having a bad bullpen. So I guess Again, we we unfortunately continue to talk about this, but but I think that this is the area like we talked about at the beginning of the show, you know, some of the sloppiness, but I that'll get cleaned up. And I think that this team is just better than that. That's why we really even pointed out at all, like especially from some of these guys, they're they're just better defenders, better players than than to let that be like a persistent thing. The starters, you know, you're going to have clunkers from some of these guys, as we discussed. Like, I think anybody, like, even I said this, right? Like, all jokes aside, like, if you were expecting John to have a sub 1.2 ERA for the entire season, like, I got some bad news for you, right? So, like, I think that 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 group, the defense, the offense has been great for the most part. Like, that's not really, I don't think, like, a point of, of concern or you know, uh, scrutiny really for me, but what is, is this bullpen and it has been coming into the season and it has sort of resurfaced as like, Hey, don't forget about us. Like we're, you know, maybe the thing that you should be the most worried about. So I I guess my question to you is we've talked about like that this bullpen has good pieces. I, I think that any takes or anything that you, you know, you may be seeing or reading, just calling the bullpen as a whole, you know, the worst thing in the world. It's it's totally useless. There's no value. That's not right. There, there's some good arms in there. There's some good pieces in there. But as we talked about in that last podcast, I think they're just over-slotted, a lot of them. They're overused and a couple, you know, rungs up the ladder too high for some of these guys. But where is your level of thought on this right now as we record this on Sunday, May 26th? Like, should they have 
brought in Craig Kimball right now? Should they be on the phone trying to make a trade for a higher leverage guy tomorrow? Can they weather the storm? Like, what are you thinking about this bullpen and and what they should do? And I, I think again, like it's it's been a constant topic, but it feels like something worth rediscussing because I think those games on Friday and Saturday are, are pretty clear indications from your manager that he does not have a lot of confidence in some of these guys, and some of these guys are being used and warmed up even if they're not used so frequently because not everybody has been particularly trustworthy that it's, you know, a a pretty clear issue. Yeah, and Madden said, too, like, the front office sees what he's seen. So it's not some secret. They don't have a bullpen that you can rely on right now outside of maybe Steve Cizek. That's an issue. So we are at the point, though, where it may not make sense to go out and sign Craig Kimbrell just because you're 10 or so days away from not having to give up a draft pick as a result of signing him. Once that draft is over, Kimbrell loses that draft pick compensation that was maybe a hindrance for most teams back in back in the offseason. So I don't know if I'm under the idea that, hey, we need to go sign Craig Kimbrell tomorrow ASAP. I don't know if I want to do that because we're at the point where maybe that doesn't make the most sense right now. I would have been under that impression, you know, six or seven weeks ago because we could have avoided, you know, five to seven different losses, whatever it ends up being. The time has come where maybe you can wait the extra two weeks or whatever it is. And uh, Theo Epstein was talking about, hey, what are you going to do? You're going to go into free agency, you're going to go into the trade market on 670 to score a few days ago. And there's it's, it's a lengthy conversation, but just to summarize, he said he's going to look at everything. And he said a trade is more realistic, but there are guys in the free Asian market, looking at you, Craig Kimbrell, that he is going to explore. So maybe, you know, a few weeks ago, it was more of a conversation like, hey, do you have enough money to do this? And the answer was always, we ran out of money. I mean, Rickett said that. But there is the possibility that funds open up as the season progresses. And they've always said, too, as the season progresses, there is added payroll flexibility built in naturally. And when you look at Ben Zobris, who it's possible he's not being paid on the, uh, what is it, the restricted list, I believe is the name. It's possible he's not being paid on that list right now. Most guys who go on that list don't get paid. So if he's not being paid, and if he doesn't come back this year, he's going to be freeing up $10 million in the Cubs payroll. As unfortunate of a situation that is to even talk about it like this, he does free up $10 million. So you have added payroll flexibility for a signing naturally or a trade naturally as the season progresses. But now you may have $10 million open that you weren't really calculating a few weeks ago. So that does make a correct Kimbrell signing possible in two weeks. Now, am I going to expect it? No, but at the very least, I am a little bit more excited that the conversation is becoming more realistic. I have no idea what the solution is, Corey. They brought up Dylan Maples. They brought up James Norwood. They brought up uh, Alan Webster, who is now on the disabled list. They've tried so many different combinations of guys. Mm -hmm. It's not working. Brad Brock has a walk per nine over eight right now. And Tyler Chatwood, as good as he has been, you don't know with the inconsistent walks when that will be a problem again. And Steve Cizek, I mean, he's been used once every game, it feels like. I don't know what the solution is, and it's not just getting one guy back. It's not just getting Pedro Stroh back that's going to fix everything. It helps, certainly it helps a lot, and it's not as simple as just signing Craig Kimbrell. You do need more depth in some fashion. So whether it's through trades, whether it is through signing Kimbrell, there needs to be more than one guy coming back. And I can't say there's a clear-cut solution to it, or it would have been made by now. The following is a true story. I had a lady that was in her mid-70s, and I'd sold her timeshare, and that was the lowest I'd ever felt in my life. I knew then that I had to do something to simply not to go to hell for selling timeshare. Chuck McDowell founded Wesley Financial Group to help folks cancel their timeshares permanently. Called her and everybody that I'd sold timeshare to, and I said, this is what I said to you that was a lie, and this is what you need to do to cancel your timeshare. From that point, people started referring friends to me to help them cancel the timeshare, and that's how it all started. I fought the world's largest timeshare company in federal court. If I had lost that lawsuit, there would be no one helping people that have been lied to when they bought timeshare. 
If we take you as a client, we will cancel your time share or we'll give your money back. That's what makes us different. Call Wesley Financial Group now for a free information kit. 800-885-4884. That's 800-885-4884. 800-885-4884. Using an overpriced trash bag? Pricey, pricey, pricey. A bag that breaks? Whippy, whippy, whippy. Or a smelly bag? Stinky, stinky, stinky. You gotta snag Hefty's Ultra Strong Trash Bag. Always at an ultra low price. Hefty, Hefty, Hefty! It has Arm & Hammer odor control, so your nose and your wallet will be... Happy, Happy, Happy! Hefty Ultra Strong Trash Bags. Hefty Strong, all day long. Yeah, I'm with you. And and again, we talked about Pedro Strope. Uh, you know, we've seen some, some videos of him getting back into the swing of things, throwing, running, and he is... I don't think we have official word on when he's going to start it, but he's nearing a rehab start, so he'll be back. He'll add, obviously, uh, a high leverage arm to that bullpen. We mentioned on the last podcast they are starting up Brandon Morrow's, uh, you know, program again. I wouldn't count on anything, but they're trying again. So, like, let's see how that goes. And if you could get anything out of him, that would be great. But you're just going to need some high leverage arms in this group. You got to push some of these guys down. I think that, you know, some of these names in particular could be fine pieces, but you are just having to use them in such high leverage spots. And, you know, you just have so many of these guys where it becomes difficult to figure out their availability and their schedule just because for some of them, you know, you kind of have to have somebody warming up behind them. And that's not really a place that you want to be. But in general, like right now, if you bring Carl into a game, you know, Joe and, and Tommy would be not super smart to not have anybody up if you brought him into a close game or whatever, because he's done nothing to show you that he's going to be able to get through it. You mentioned Brock, who has had some good outings. He's He's got, a, you know, I think a sub three ERA on the season, but he's walking a lot of guys at times, you know, so it, it's, it's a safe plan to have somebody warming around him. You have guys like Montgomery, who in some of these games are being asked to throw, you know, three, four innings on on multiple occasions. So it makes it difficult to really iron out like where these guys' roles are. And, you know, again, for some of them, they just shouldn't be in these roles in the first place, which is, again, like I think you see Steve Ciszek, and I, I don't really necessarily disagree with the decision. Like you see him pitch on Friday and afterward Joe admitting, like, I don't think he had a full tank. And I, I read that quote, and I'm like, well, you know, I, I don't love that. But then I asked myself, honestly, like, who would you have preferred to come in to try to close a, you know, a game like that? And I I don't have a good answer for you. I, I To be honest with you, I would say I'll take 80% C-Sheck and see what happens. And if he Ugh. loses the game, he loses the game, which is what happened. Yeah. Um, so it's a tough spot. But again, like, I have every expectation that this is going to be addressed. Like, this is one of those things where Theo sees what we all see. So I think that, you know, everybody in this front office and and ownership is looking at this team knowing that this team has the potential to win this division, win in the playoffs, and ultimately win a championship. And there's, you know, I think, again, like a, a pretty clear area that needs to be addressed as far as like what the priority is. So I expect them to do it. How they go about it, is it to the degree that we all maybe, you know, think it it should be? I don't know. You know, like I don't know if you're going to have somebody of Chapman's caliber like they did in 2016 you know, coming through those locker room doors at some point, or if it's going to be, you know, higher tier, high leverage guys, but not necessarily in that elite, like you've just gotten your power arm that you can rely on to close any game, anytime. I don't know if it's going to be a type like that. And, you know, maybe that depends on what we see from Strope when he comes back. If Moro progresses at all, who knows? <laughs> but they're going to address this. Like there's no way that we get, you know, through, you know, after the draft with with those guys who are available and then ultimately to the trade deadline and nothing of even any significance happens for this bullpen. It's just not a scenario I can see. Uh, and if it does, you know, then I, you know, I think you, 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 you'd have a legitimate gripe as, as a fan of this team that, you know, they weren't addressing a pretty clear need. But I, I think this front office has given us no expectation 
especially like through the the middle part of the season, I think they've given us every reason to expect that they will uh, try to address this and and try to curb what's been happening with this bullpen. So that's just what it is. I do have an in-game update for you, and it seems like a good one. Chris Bryant has been cleared to fly to Houston, uh, so he will go with the team that coming from Patrick Mooney of The Athletic at PJ underscore Mooney. And, you know, look, I know that uh, especially a certain someone on this podcast, not named Corey, uh, though I join in it at times, uh, not always the biggest fan of this medical staff. Um, but I, I have to believe that this is not something that they would be doing if they thought there was any reason for him not to go. I think the fact that even some of the earlier tweets we were reading that they were even considering it to me means like they understand, like there's no reason for him, you know, it's the end of May here. He's putting up an MVP level season. He got hit in the head with a fastball last season, even though that didn't really seem to show any, you know, lingering effects when he came back. You got to be conservative here. You got to be careful here. They have a DH when they go to Houston. I would certainly hope that he's in the DH spot. And if he's not, to me, that means that he's good to go. And, you know, Chris is a smart guy. Uh, his dad, Mike, is a smart guy. Like, I don't think he would be uh, doing this or getting back out there if he was not good to go. You can't so, fly with a, with a uh, concussion too, right? Like, medically, you're not I able to do that. I don't believe so. Yeah, I, I would right. have to imagine so that, that is not something no that you would So that means no concussion, I would imagine? I I don't, as I've said before, I'm not a doctor, nor do I play one on TV. Yeah. But I, so I, I don't no want to make any definitive... Uh, yeah, I don't want to make any definitive statements there, but you would think that that is the case. Right, but cool. uh, yeah, I, again, I think if if he had a concussion, if he had any anything that they were worried about, I, I don't think that he would be making this trip uh, to Houston, or at least today. You know what I mean? Like right. he, he could miss a game and, and come later or join them on the road trip at a different time if they felt it was necessary. Like this isn't a must-win game tomorrow. So I, I don't have any expectation that they would be treating it that way. So that's good news. It's, you know, look, like Again, you go back to uh, Arizona in 2016, and you've seen, you know, sometimes these collisions have really bad results, and they can be the result of miscommunication. They can be the, the result of a bad play by one of the outfielders, whatever the result is. But this stuff happens, man. You know, this this happens in games all the time. You see near misses on plays all the time. I think uh, on a pop-up, maybe on Friday or Saturday, Hayward and Russell came, you know, very near running into one another with Hayward sliding and Russell, you know, going back on a pop-up to try to make the play. So this stuff happens. And I I think all you can do is be glad when the results are good. I, I, you know, like Chris Bryant, we've, we've talked about this, like it, it, it doesn't really even bear repeating. Like Chris Bryant is extremely important to this team. He's one of the best players in baseball. So this is not uh, something to be taken lightly, but hopefully he is all right. And uh, we can, forget that this ever happened. I know Brendan's not going to no, forget, I never that, forget happened, that. But um, so Brendan, one thing I, I, I want to talk about on the positive note before you get into uh, this preview of this series with Houston that which, you know, Brendan, I got to be honest with you, like if we wanted to like be previewing the World Series here, fine it's by a, me. It's a warm up. Um, I'm down. I'm down, you know, for a Houston Cubs World Series. So sign me up for that. Um but I do just want to note, because we had noted that Wilson Contreras did a, a similar thing, but we have another member, Brendan, of the I've already hit more home runs in 2019 than I did all of 2018 with Chili Davis Club, and his name is Albert, Welcome, Almora, Albert Almora Jr. He's looked great. He hits his sixth home run in this series against the Reds which is one more than five. That's how counting works. Uh, so, and that was his total in 2018. He's now just two off of his career high of eight that he hit in 2017. Uh, and he's done it in almost exactly half the at-bats. So that's cool. And and again, like Almora's on a good stretch here uh, overall. And it's it's always good. You know, we, we came into this season obviously stressing how the offense fell off the tracks, fell off the face of the earth, basically, in the second half of the 2018 season. So 
you know, we don't like bring this up. We sort of joke about Chili Davis. Like, who knows exactly how much blame should be laid at anyone's feet? But I do think it's important to point these things out because that that was a disaster of, of how the 2018 season ended. And and again, you know, similar to the way that we talk about the bullpen right now, like a really clear area like that this is what is failing right now in 2018 like it was the offense it was the 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 shutouts the one run games and and just the inability to score big runs on a consistent basis so I do think it's worth pointing out like we've got multiple guys who are putting up better seasons already especially just in terms of power and I I think that's that's important that's a big deal for yeah and and with Almora too like guys like Rizzo Contreras Baez they're all continuing to hit extremely well so you got to give uh, give credit for Almora there because he did start off a little bit below, I think, even everyone's expectations for offense, even though they may not have been that high. But the conversations were going on like, hey, should we send down Almora? Like those were legitimate conversations. So good on him for getting back at it and adjusting. And now he's hitting the ball further, uh, more frequency in the air. All good signs, Corey. All right, so let me preview this upcoming series against the Houston Astros, which you can get tickets to through SeatGeek. With millions of live event tickets and a price match guarantee, SeatGeek proves there's a better way. Search sports, live music, comedy, and more. SeatGeek has the tickets you're looking for all in one place. Why is SeatGeek better than the rest? It's just a better process. SeatGeek pulls together millions of tickets from all over the web. It breaks down the details in the process. So green dots mean good deals. Red dots mean overpriced deals on their very easy to use interactive map. And as we said, every purchase is fully guaranteed. So you can shop for tickets with confidence. I always use the SeatGeek app on my phone, no matter what event, baseball, football, basketball concerts, I use it. I get my tickets within 15 minutes, not even. I can send them off to my friends. It's an extremely easy to use process. Best of all, our listeners, you guys get $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. All you need to do is use our promo code, download the SeatGeek app and use promo code CUBSRELATED for $10 off your first purchase. That's promo code Cubs related for $10 off your first purchase. Okay. So the Cubs will travel to Houston with Chris Bryant on their flight. First game is Monday. So you're probably listening to this right now. The game starts at 1.10 p.m. Central. So, you know, set your alarm there. Cole Hamels will take the mound for the Cubs, who's 4-0 with a 3.38 ERA. Garrett Cole will take the mound for the Astros, who's 4-5 with a 4.11 ERA. Of course, you remember Garrett Cole from that wild card game when the Cubs beat him up. A very familiar face to many Cubs hitters. On Tuesday, the Cubs will play a night game in Houston. John Lester will take the mound, 3-3 with a 2.68 ERA. He'll face Corbin Martin for the Astros, 1-1 with a 4.97 ERA. Lester looking to rebound after two not-so-good starts. Uh, Jordan Bashton noted that his cutter has been getting hit harder than usual, so just looking for John to tighten things back up. And then to finish off the three-game set, on Wednesday, another 7.10 p.m. Central start time, Kyle Hendricks takes the mound for the Cubs, 4-4 four four, with a nice 3.34 ERA. Still been pretty good, even though you know he didn't get the result you wanted to see in that first Reds game uh, of the series. Still looked pretty good, I thought. He'll face Wade Miley, who's 5-2, and two, with a 3.32 ERA. You may also remember Miley from Milwaukee last year after incorporating that cutter, which he uses basically once every two pitches now. It's been very good for him. So Miley, again, has that 5-2 and two record with, with a 3.32 ERA. Just to paint the picture overall, after that Houston series, they're going to be playing a very important division series against the St. Louis Cardinals in St. Louis, who have been playing kind of subpar baseball. Right now, the Cardinals are 26-25. and 25. They're four games back of the Cubs. Milwaukee is one and a half games back of the Cubs at a 30-24 and 24 record. And then Pittsburgh, who's been playing well recently, is at 500 at 25-25, and 25, four and a half games back. And the Reds now 24 and 28, six and a half games back of the Cubs, who stand at 30 and 21. So that's the lay of the land there. You hope Chris Bryant can get right back in that lineup if he's able. Look for him to be DHing, perhaps, to give him a day off. And still monitoring that leadoff position, I think. Kyle Schwarber's been playing almost every day, which has been fun to watch. Maybe he's going to ink down that, that slot going forward. Other than that, I would like to see Lester, you know, rebound and get back on track. But 
you just really hope that bullpen doesn't get overworked again with uh, with Cizek pitching, which seems like every other day. So those are my hot topics. Corey, what do you got? Well, this will be interesting, man. Uh, this is uh, this is a tough team. Uh, this this Houston team, they are no joke. They are loaded, and this will be a test for these pitchers. Uh, I think you know, especially you look at Lester and Hamels. This is a dangerous ballpark, man. This is a dangerous ballpark and a, a very dangerous lineup. And I look forward to the Cubs hitters being able to hit there. You know, Javi, uh, Wilson, KB, hopefully being able to, you know, go for that short porch and left. Uh, you know, man, Javi's only swinging for fly balls in this series, <laughs> right? With, short like, with the way field. he hits, he could hit 10 home runs in these games. He could probably games, bunt the ball but, <laughs> Yeah, right. So... You know, I look forward to that. I look forward to Rizzo hopefully wearing out that you know short fence in right. Uh, it's 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 a great ballpark to see some of these guys hit. Uh, you know, for the Cubs, so I, I look forward to that. But I I you know I'm I'm being honest. I'm not looking forward to our pitching staff having to deal. This Astros lineup is is loaded, and it's a small ballpark, man. So you know some of these games where we've seen them not have their best command. Uh, you know, or walk too many guys. You know, I, I think it's it's sort of those two things for Lester and Hamels for me that'll be interesting to watch. You know, Hamels has not had his best command. He's run up high pitch counts. He's walked more than I think he would like. Uh, even though I don't think, you know, I've said before, I don't think a lot of those miss pitches are necessarily bad pitches. But when guys aren't chasing at them, you know, that's that's just sort of the mm-hmm. result. Yep. And, you know, Lester's going to have to have better command. You know, the, the command, as he spoke about in his postgame interview the last time, you know, he just it felt off. He didn't feel right, didn't feel like he had the good command. This is a lineup and a ballpark where you're not going to be able to to get away with that for sure. So it, it'll be interesting to watch. It's, it's again, you know, I said a World Series preview for a reason. This Houston team uh, certainly has to be in that conversation, if you were going to pick who would end up there now. And I think it's always fun to see the Cubs against these teams, you know, because I think that we, we, we talk about, you know, the bullpen issues or whatever. We talk about some of this stuff all the time. And it's interesting, you know, when you get to see it go up against a really solid squad, you know, and I think if you saw some big performances out of these starters or out of some of these guys out of this bullpen, there's not really a situation where you would feel better about it than if they're able to, you know, come in and dial things up and perform against this Houston Astros team. So I think it's always uh, fun when you get these uh, kind of litmus test games. Like I think when you look at that series the Cubs played with the Dodgers at Wrigley Field, like we can we can freak out. I, I don't think we freaked out today, but you know we can be angry about a series that they lose with the Reds. You know the second time in a row they played the Reds and dropped two out of three. But at the same time, the the real takeaways, I think, for me are when you play series like that Dodger series and, and you're able to get those big hits against, you know, some of the Dodgers' bigger names and you're able to uh, stifle some of their bigger hitters or at least not let Cody Bellinger, like, run roughshod over the whole series, right? Like, those are where I think you really learn the most. And it's it's a cliche, I think, but though these are the series where you really learn the most about the team that you're watching and, and what you can expect, I think, you know, come playoff time. And obviously the team will be in a very different place, but it's all just to say, I think we learn more about what happens, you know, in a series with Houston or with the Dodgers than we do on a Saturday with the wind blowing out against the Reds. That That's, that's kind of my point yeah. with that. And I think it's also worth mentioning, Brendan, that unless I'm mistaken, and I don't think that I am, the last time the Cubs played in Houston during the regular season, they did go on to win the World Series. Mm, yeah, so, the World Series, yeah, correct. You know, I, I don't know if if those things are tied together, if we can just automatically assume that this is how it works. But we, you know, we have that sample of this group plays in Houston. They go on to win the World Isn't Series. That simple. So I, I, I say we just, yeah, I, I say we keep it that simple. Just stick with that. The Cubs still haven't lost a series since uh, that April 5th series in Milwaukee. As long as you just pretend the Cincinnati Reds don't exist and that none of these six games, uh, the series in Cincinnati and the one here at Wrigley Field, 
you just pretend it didn't happen. And the Cubs have still not lost a series since early April. So I think that's the the right mindset to uh, go with. I don't would, would would anybody really care if we just pretended that the Cincinnati Reds weren't a real thing? I don't think so. You know, um, I, I think we can get away with that. But. I think that's all we have for you uh, for this episode. Uh, We thank you guys, as always, for joining us. We will come to you after the Cubs finish up their World Series preview with the Houston Astros in Houston. So we'll talk to you guys soon. Our homes today are like little cities full of different interneting boroughs, like the entertainment district in the living room or the virtual fitness center in the garage. And Xfinity Internet keeps it all running smoothly with reliable speed to power all your devices at once. You get coverage around town from the financial district home office to the spa. Xfinity Internet keeps your little city humming with reliable speed and coverage. Now that's simple, easy, awesome. Find great offers and value today from Xfinity. Go online or call 1-800-XFINITY to learn more. Restrictions apply. Thanks as always, and go Cubs. Keep your whole home running like clockwork, from the office to the game room with Xfinity Internet. You'll get the best in-home Wi-Fi experience with reliable speed and coverage. Now that's simple, easy, awesome. Go online or call 1-800-XFINITY today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Kaiser is off the chain. Everything is in one place for you. Your x-ray will be done there. The doctor will see you there. The labs are there for you. And then the nurses that work with you at Kaiser, they make you feel so at home. They're there to meet your needs. I would not be alive today if I had not had Kaiser Permanente. I feel really, really great knowing there's a place that I can go to make sure that I can maintain good health on a regular basis. Every medical case is unique. Kaiser Foundation Health Plan, the Middle United States, 2101, East Jefferson Street, Rockville, Maryland, 20852. Our homes today are like little cities full of different interneting boroughs, like the entertainment district in the living room or the virtual fitness center in the garage. And Xfinity Internet keeps it all running smoothly with reliable speed to power all your devices at once. You get coverage around town from the financial district home office to the spa. Xfinity Internet keeps your little city humming with reliable speed and coverage. Now that's simple, easy, awesome. Find great offers and value today from Xfinity. Go online or call 1-800-XFINITY to learn more. Restrictions apply. Kaiser is off the chain. Everything is in one place for you. Your x-ray will be done there. The doctor will see you there. The labs are there for you. And then the nurses that work with you at Kaiser, they make you feel so at home. They're there to meet your needs. I would not be alive today if I had not had Kaiser Permanente. I feel really, really great knowing there's a place that I can go to make sure that I can maintain good health on a regular basis. Every medical case is unique. Kaiser Foundation Health Plan, the Middle United States, 2101, East Jefferson Street, Rockville, Maryland, 20852. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.